0: There'd be plenty of newspapers with plenty of different people controlling them so that there's a variety of viewpoints and there's a choice for the public. Uh,
1: no, 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 I, no it's not hate crimes. Yeah, no, we're not. No, no, about, no, we and, no. To and
0: you shouldn't be trying to turn this into a subsequent media circus. Good
1: morning, sir. How
0: are you? Stick it. Op Heads
2: is a very good
0: podcast.
2: Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> get it, get it. Yes, it is. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> no denying that. You sound like very open. echoey, Tom.
0: Where are you? You said you were in your.
2: I'm, I'm in, I'm in my, um, I'm in my living room because there's there's hammering going on in the hidey holes. So oh, okay. Room. And I'm I'm kind of secretly hoping that the audio is fine, but I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I reckon because it, if it was be fine like, yeah, it should be. Fine. With this mic, with maybe the, yeah.
1: with the uh, like the window open, and it's been
2: fine. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I've been reading too many fucking online little blogs, being like. You need, to, you need to wrap a blanket so f- tight around your face that you can't breathe unless the microphone's picking it up. Oh my God, <laughs> that's so extreme. Do you have a log line ready to go, Rachel? I always oh, forget. hold on,
0: sorry. I have to find it. OpEds is a podcast centered on deconstructing the ways in which we as individuals accept, approach, consume, and process news media and explores where our, our opinions and perspectives actually come from. I'm Rachel Morrow.
1: And I'm, I'm 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 Zeb.
2: Hi Zeb, how are you? Yeah,
1: good. Mate. <laughs> how are you? Um,
2: for those that like haven't listened to the show before, uh, you'll probably find the first little chunk of this kind of w- weirdly unresearched. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the point of the podcast is that for the first like section, we talk just about the issue in terms of like our kind of like organic knowledge of the the topic. And then we go off and we research uh, the topic from a few different perspectives and kind of like, uh, I don't know, like pinpoint the ways in which our idea of the event has changed or something, you know. Take a look at like, kind of like, why do we know what we don't? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like how the resources and the media that we consume kind of, you know, affected that change or educated us or maybe even
1: de educated us. What's their band?
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. So for example, with, with this topic, we're talking about uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia. I mean, I, 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 to be honest, like, I'm, like, I, I know the broad strokes, you know, I, I don't, I know, not that much. And I think with conflict, it's always like, you know, there's, there's, there's the actual event of the, the conflict. Of like it, it's it's fair to label this a war or is this more of an invasion? Like you know what I mean? And then and then there's like the the history and the context that goes into it, and, and I know nothing of the latter but at all. Yeah,
0: I think Seb is the <laughs> the only one out of. All of us who probably is the expert in this area, but I guess all I can say is from what I know. Three of us (laughs) from the basics, from the basic uh, Wikipedia blurb, and then just hearing Zeb rant for the past like six months, um, I have a general idea of what's going on. I would say that it is yeah, it's definitely like what's happening right now in 2020 is a war, but I think like what's happened in the past century is a conflict of a lot of Mm. different kind of back and forth between Azerbaijanis and Armenians. Um, And obviously, Zeb is going to get into this, but I'm just going to say what I know right now before I lose my train of thought and forget what I actually know. (laughs) But from what I know, uh, so Armenia and Azerbaijan are like right next to each other. And there's been conflict over like their border land, which is named... An area. Nagorno-Karabakh. Yep. Didn't want to pronounce that wrong. Or Artsakh. Yep. That's the one. Um, and so right now what the war is kind of residing over, what the issue is, is that Azerbaijan have kind of invaded that area, which was not um, really kind of defined as either, but it was more occupied by Armenia.
2: Sure. And then I think the only thing I'd add to that that I, that I, I don't know of, like I basically that's all I know as well, but the, I, I can't like i I think they're both they're both former soviet countries as far as yep. i know maybe i'm wrong yep. yeah and then my, my question is is like like what is, so the dispute has like you know there's been like disputes back and forth since the 90s or is like this a more recent kind of like like when was this area disputed like after the breakup of like the Soviet you know Empire or whatever
1: uh yeah, as far as I can tell it um <clears throat> like uh I think because Armenia and Azerbaijan for the longest time have just kind of intermingled, and they're kind of uh mm. like state lines have been pretty vague and kind of uh blurred <clears throat> once they were once they were kind of taken over by uh the Russian Empire before the Soviets there was some kind of somewhat arbitrary borders drawn and then uh, yeah, right. ever since then.
2: And again, don't, you know, we're going to, like later on when we research these, if, if there's anyone listening and screaming and going like, you and Rachel know nothing and Sam is wrong, then, <laughs> yeah. you know, hopefully we'll sort of get to terms on it a little like more, you know. Yeah, hopefully we'll That's actually. the whole point of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll learn something and we'll learn all the other different perspectives. Maybe. Yeah, exactly right. Some, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, we'll see. This is the experiment, we'll
1: and so the Soviet Union drew in. I think it was Stalin um, uh, drew the borders, and uh, oh no, no, it wasn't Stalin. It was it was some sort of contract. But then, yeah, the the basic the conflict that started in the late eighties, early nineties was um, the kind of autonomous region of Nagorno Karabakh um, pushed for a motion to be reunited with um, with Armenia, and then.
2: Because because there is there is a lot of like cultural Armenians like living no sorry wait no 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 no
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of both like um you can kind of go from town to town and it'll change between azerbaijanis and armenians
2: and is this is this does this have any kind of like is this a a just purely cultural or a national or is this like a religious element like mixed into this or not so much
1: yeah i don't know how much the religious element plays into the reason they're fighting but there is a religious distinction between Azeris are muslims generally and armenians are generally christians
2: I mean, this is the thing is like, you know, this is like from our conversation at the beginning of the episode, this is one of those like conflicts that sort of like literally all I saw uh, was like, you know, like you should know what's going on there for a few days and they kind of disappeared. And it's like, obviously, like, I don't think any of us should look to social media to kind of be our news feed. I think that's a kind of a bad idea, but so I think it'd be kind of good to like get into this. Um, because also I think it's a good time to kind of prove our experiment or to like look at our experiment in a way of like when in other topics that we've done, it hasn't been so much of a disparity between like the sources and kind of like, like the way that we see the issue at the end of the episode and sort of then yeah. kind of come together and, and figure it out.
0: I agree. I'm I'm excited to see how this turns out because I feel like a lot of, from what you're saying, Tom, and from my own personal experiences, um, social media always kind of, uh, what's the word, tackles the, I guess, identity political side of um, an issue and then like obviously certain news outlets tackle like, you know, the global political side and then, you know, the military and the trade political side. Does that make sense? So I'm excited to see how – because I always just, yeah, research or learn about, like, you know, the identity politics of an issue. But this is going to be quite eye-opening to see what else I learn.
2: For the for this it's like from my sphere of knowledge, I think like the things I'm interested to know about it, like the the beginning of the invasion, because I'm I'm sure I've read that um Azerbaijani media kind of like had a bunch of like had some like information about an attack from the from Armenia that seems to be like widely like people are kind of skeptical about the source of that initial information. And the other thing that I'm confused about is um the treaty with Russia because it seems like that uh being a Russian ally didn't get Armenia a very good I don't know if result. Maybe that's not the nicest way of like talking about it yeah, as no, a result. I
1: don't it didn't. But I think I yeah, I think it's that thing where Russia's not necessarily the best person best people to be allied to, you know, in the yeah, same right, way that America yeah. is, you know, like they they're still gonna serve their own yeah, interests. Yeah
2: yeah because it's not so much it's not a proxy war. It's kind of the opposite. It's kinda of like like, Russia and, and Turkey, uh, as far as I can tell, they're pretty aligned, right? Like, they're sort of in the same block of power, right? Or maybe I'm wrong about that as well. <laughs> I yeah, don't fucking know anything
0: No, nah, really.
1: I think Russia and Turkey's relationship seems to be really complicated, but...
0: Yeah, yeah okay, sure. They're frenemies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they work
1: together when they have to, but then they also work against each other quite a bit.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure. Frenemies. Okay. Well, this is kind of like this is kind of I feel like so if if you're listening to this and you're pulling out your hair, this is this is the bit where we don't know, well, apart from maybe Zep. We don't know what I, we're talking about. I don't about. know much of anything. I'm not
1: an expert. Yeah. Rachel called me an expert earlier. I, that is not true at all. <laughs>
0: well, out of the three of us, you are expert. more of the expert than either. Yeah, exactly. Out of, the, exactly, out of
2: the, that's an important distinction. Is out of the out of the three of us. Yeah. So if you're pulling out your hair, just you know, hold your breath for a couple of minutes, and maybe we'll come back with sort of like let's not say, you know, that much more information, but enough information that you might not pull out your hair as much. Um, yeah. I kind of feel like. It's so confusing. I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested, kind of like my interests for like in terms of research topic. I'm interested to kind of like look into like independent journalism because I I feel like it's maybe maybe this is my bias, but I feel like that's as close to kind of objectivity as like I like we're likely to find. And I also like would be interested to really like you know I don't know just read up on the on the issue.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm very happy to kind of. <laughs> I'm just going to go down my normal path and see if I learn anything more interesting, or at least just I think, because obviously we're going to come back and I'm going to learn a lot. I'm happy to just do what I usually do and just go to my usual sources, see if they educate yeah. me any more than what I already know, or even just kind of change my perspective on certain things, and then so, so that. That being kind of like yeah. liberal,
2: liberal news media, yeah. like uh, yeah, The I, Guardian and yada yada. You know,
0: New York Times, that kind of vibe. Lib- okay, sure, Liberal sure, sure. white Western media.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. So
1: I guess that I'll just, I'll I'll do the, uh, yeah, I don't know, like what, like more textbooks sort of uh, like published and I guess somewhat uh, peer-reviewed, <laughs> you know, you'd hope. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like like, of, I guess. I guess it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like pretending as much as it as as one can to be objective and see if I can.
2: Okay, cool. Well, yeah. All right. Well, um, let's take some time and we'll come back and then, uh, yeah. Hopefully, uh, we'll have some idea and and uh, for all the people, all the sort of people who know a lot about this won't be won't be so frustrated with us or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you're still screaming at the end of the episode, then please, oh, please, <laughs> let if, us you, know. if, if you if scream
2: yeah, right now, yeah. be warned. Like, this is probably not the podcast for you. Like, go listen to like, a, you know, straight up like conflict journalism podcast. It's not what we're doing. What we're doing, it's it's an experiment about like how news sources are changing things and like what information do we like. It's about learning. So it's not it's not a, like there's plenty of places you can go where you can get just a good solid like. You know, A to B, or like, uh, I don't know, conflict documentation thing, or whatever. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: But uh but All right, guys.
0: <laughs> analysis. Yeah, cool. See you,
2: <laughs> in, a see you <laughs> in a week. Good Bye-bye. luck. All right,
1: Bye. Yeah, ya.
2: Hello, listeners. Over the week, Seb watched Origins of the Nagorno-Karabakh Conflict from the Caspian Report and Wounds of Karabakh and read Black Garden, Armenia and Azerbaijan through peace and war by Thomas Val. Rachel's sources were ABC's Religion and Ethics podcast, Enclave on Edge, Armenia and Azerbaijan from The Economist, read an article from The Guardian, two articles from The New York Times and another from Al Jazeera. Cowards read an article from The Crisis Group the documentary parts of a cycle and listen to three episodes of popular front for a full list of sources for the episode head to www.cowardspace.com
0: slash opeds
2: I, I had a i had a, 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 a my first op related dream when i was with you know knees deep in research for this the other night i was walking around in like altona like like west uh like west melbourne and I was, like, you know, really stressed out. I was going, oh, I haven't researched the show. I haven't researched the show. I need to do more research. But it, the, what we were doing an episode on was, like, the illegal fishing trade. So I was going into all these, like, milk bars and, like, walking up to these kind of mafioso types being like, listen, mate, I know you've got the barramundis. And they were going, like, <laughs> I got it, mate, right under the counter. <laughs> 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 to pull out, pulling out these giant fish.
1: Some full investigational research for the Very show. funny. It'd be good if we could get I don't that know what committed it means. to it. But I guess that wouldn't really go with the experiment, would it?
2: I think it's like a, I think it's like a Sicilian message from my subconscious or
0: something. (laughs) Possibly that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely keen to get past this one because I've just like, I've got other things I want to do and other books that I want to read that I'm not allowed to (laughs) because I've got to. Yeah, i I, doing this.
2: Yeah, exactly. I kind of feel like I've just like I've boiled my brain a little bit, and I hope that like you know, I think I think just even to save myself, I think I'm like going to do like a disclaimer right now to everyone listening. Hello. That, like, uh, we're not historians and, like, we, if I get something wrong, I'm very, very sorry. I've tried my best, but this is not, like, my wheelhouse is, like, geopolitics and everything like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same goes for me. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Once again, I feel like we've got to reiterate this every episode. Like, we yeah, are yeah, yeah. not an authority not, on not anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Apart from Rachel. Except for me. <laughs> you know, the authority. Everything about everything. Ooh. Um, and also,
2: it, it, like considering that it's it's been a, like so since like it hasn't been a week like usual it's been about a month because we had to like had a lot of time setting up the podcast which was very great to hear all of your reactions and finally to get a live reaction to the episode so we've spent like about a month doing the research on this so like a lot of what we talked about last week uh, probably is a little outdated now yep, and, um, and I can't remember anything we said lot's happened in the interim
0: neither can I probably nothing.
1: I did actually get a little bit of uh I got um I got uh I have a I have our first correction to make. <laughs> um Ooh. yeah, I got a message oh. from dear friend of the show Miller, whose birthday it is today. So
0: Happy birthday, happy Miller! Birthday,
2: Miller. Oh, happy
1: birthday, Miller. Um Uh I know that I mentioned in the JK Rowling one uh her and Stephen King being friends, but apparently um Oh fuck, what was it? She uh he he uh, tweeted some thing about uh misogyny and she like uh tweeted at him saying like thank you Stephen. you know like there aren't i don't forget the men that have stood up for me when they didn't have to and then uh and then at some point someone on twitter kind of pressed Stephen king on uh like the trans issue and he eventually said trans women are women and then she uh unfollowed him deleted her tweet supporting him she like he yeah they they are not friends
0: wow there you go. go. Good I on you, Stephen, Stephen. Stephen King. Well, I, I, like to,
2: I like to see where good pal Miller gets their paycheck from. <laughs> I'd be a interested very good to point. see. <laughs> Got no, a little no. Stephen King Stephen signature King's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Fake laugh. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to bring up my spirits. <laughs> <Leave. It's> Rachel's <laughs> unwell
1: at the moment. <laughs> I'm dying. She <laughs> sounds a little flat. <laughs> I'm not
0: dying. I just have a terrible period pain, guys. All of my people out there, we know what it's like. (laughs) I've got my hot water bottle there, so it's nice. It's a comfort.
2: It's definitely not like going to put you in the mood to start like getting deep into like (laughs) like the the terrible like injustices of like the Karabakh war. Yeah, no.
0: Well, I guess you know. I was just about to say all pain is universal, but that's that's (laughs) definitely not a great comment. I retract. Trade it carefully. Anyways, let's continue.
2: Well, I think I, – I guess it's, like, it's hard to know now, like, where to begin. But I guess, Zeb, if you kind of, like, want to do your best to kind of summarise, like, what is 40, 40 years of conflict, like – Well, it's <laughs> like, actually 100
0: uh, years. Yeah,
1: time. yeah, I, yeah, we're going back. Well, we're yeah, going yeah. back pretty far. Um, mm. Yeah, okay, all right, so um, the South Caucasus uh, existed for a long time. And
0: all right, hold on, wait, 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 let's start it. So let's explain – Zeb, explain Armenia, Azerbaijan, their place, position in the world, geographically, so we can get an idea visually in our minds what we're thinking about. Okay.
1: All right. All right. So I'm going to paint you a picture with words. There you go. I'm going to paint you a, a picture. <laughs> That's great. Are you ready, man? I'm going to paint channel. you. I'm going to paint, a, going to paint a picture with my words.
2: <laughs> <laughs> take us, take us to the mountains. Take us to the Caucasus. <laughs> to the take to, us to, to the, the, the Black Garden. <laughs>
1: I want to
2: smell the smoke and the fire. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: yeah, all right. So Armenia, Azerbaijan, are in the South Caucasus, just uh, just below um, Georgia, and then uh, Azerbaijan's uh, northeastern eastern tip uh, meets Russia. So and then uh, below uh, Azerbaijan, which sits in the west, and then oh, sorry, in the east, and then Armenia, which sits in the west, and then Nagorno Karabakh, the region, like you know, being like in conflict. Sits right in, like, kind of in between them, a little bit on uh, Azerbaijan's side.
0: Why are they called the Caucasus? I don't know. I think that, yeah, I don't
1: know. Okay, it's where the word Caucasian comes
0: from.
2: Oh, oh, really? really There you go. Yeah, I, 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 I there was a Tom.
1: I was watching a Tom Tanuki, Tom Tanuki, uh, stand-up thing, and he explained that uh, there was some creepy race race scientist who, um, who went to Armenia. And thought that the women there were so beautiful that he kind of named all white people in in mm. in the name of of the Caucasians,
0: of the Armenians.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 but like as Caucasians of yeah, the
0: Caucasians. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and
2: I heard I heard the Gorno-Karabakh. Maybe I'm like uh, wrong here, but I think it comes. The name has some derision from it being mountainous and uh, and half. Uh, very flat plains, and I think that has something to do with the, like the the language. Like, I think maybe Karabakh means mountain. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But I yeah, think it's, I know. So that... it's like half half very cold and very mountainous, and the other half is very flat. I think.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the translation of one of them, but I think that it's Nagorno it means black garden, and ah, that okay. it's like very right. very fertile. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Okay, Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, uh, on the Southwest, you've got Turkey, and on the uh, southeast, you have Iran,
0: I, I think. Like, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah the uh, the The region for a very long time has kind of been like, uh, you know, like it was... Um,
2: like contentious, like like taken over by different empires. Yeah, yeah,
1: well, yeah, it just, it belonged to a whole bunch of different empires, like like for, for years mm. and years and years, and because they were never um, strictly uh, kind of like nation states... They intermingled quite a bit, and there was kind of a gradient between the west and the east. Where in the west, uh, in the east, you'd have uh, like majority Azerbaijani, and then the further west you got, the more the mix would be. Until eventually, you got to pretty solidly Armenian on the west side.
2: And the Azerbaijani is sort of like a, a Turkic ethnic. Was was always sort of like ethnically sort of like a Turkic group, or yeah, yeah. yeah. that was more. Rich. Yeah, okay. and then and then Armenian. People, I don't know much about like Armenians.
0: The... Are, were also stemmed from Turkey, did they not?
1: I'm not sure. I don't think that. I don't think that they particularly identify as that. They don't at identify,
0: all. Yeah. but I think in terms of
2: like way history, way back when kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm not sure because yeah, like obviously, like Armenia, Armenia is like a predominantly um, Christian Orthodox, yeah, Christian, yeah. yeah. and then <clears throat> uh, Azerbaijan Muslim. Mm. Which comes from its kind of like Turkish, mm. yeah, roots and its links to um, Iran and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after after like kind of just like existing as different like parts of different empires for a long time, the Russian Empire in the I uh, think like started in the like a, a very early eighteen hundreds uh, through to like the mid eighteen hundreds. They um took over like they they conquered the land so yeah we've got uh the russians then like kind of, out of like impose these borders on the like onto the area and uh that pretty quickly starts to create like uh nationalist conflicts between the two cultures
2: okay oh interesting i like not, not like reading like the the deep history it's like I, the, what my source is kind of make me feel like it all began in like the mid 80s almost like
1: no no so the first kind of the first like the first conflict that they had happened uh during the first world war the russian revolution comes along and uh so yeah these guys kind of like take the opportunity to start seizing land off each other azerbaijan takes a lot of control but then as the bolsheviks make their way down to uh invade excuse me (laughs) <laughs> Georgia, <laughs> Georgia, Armenia, uh, Georgia, and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. That's the sound
2: of, the, sound of the Soviets rolling over. <laughs> <the land. laughs> yeah.
1: Azerbaijan then has to kind of like divert all of their troops from uh, the kind of the Armenian border up to the northwestern tip, so that they can try and fend off the uh, the Bolsheviks. Mm, but okay. So in as they did that. The Armenians, like, seized that opportunity and reclaimed a bunch of their territory along that border, and then pretty soon after that, the Soviets just ran through and took over the whole place.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll go.
1: And so, I think that the Soviets essentially kind of maintained, like, the uh, borders that had had been established
2: like i read an article just just like five minutes before we started this um from uh neil p hower who's like on the ground like in in karabakh right now and it was like a it was like a like it it was discussing kind of how the arbitrary soviet drawn-up borders like kind of help create conflict like maybe not like consciously but like continue conflict and like exacerbate things because of the way that they're so arbitrarily drawn yeah
1: but no you're right like i think that yeah the um like the borders drawn by the soviets were quite i think they were they were sort of lazy and i think that they didn't fully realize what the consequences would be of disrupting like the yeah like by creating these borders because they did definitely raise the tension and it's a real shame because they like uh Armenians and Azerbaijanis for a long time were culturally quite similar and they always kind of lived side by side.
2: Yeah, yeah. Quite peacefully. Like it's, it's, it. It's it's kinda like it, it's sort of like what the British do in like India or Pakistan and like these kind of lazy like dividing lines create like so much conflict yeah. down the line. <laughs> yeah. It's kinda just this like you could have put like another couple of months or listened to like some local you know, the some of the local population just a tiny bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they could have done a lot of things differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um in in the documentary I was watching, I was it was talking about how like, you know, the early, early days, like in in the late eighties when, like, the Soviet, you know, like, block began to kind of crumble and they were talking about each other, like, kind of in... Like, there was a little bit of, like, kind of, like... uh, There was a little bit of, kind of, like, agitation between them about, like, the Azerbaijani being kind of Turkish heritage, but, like, it began quite simple. Like, at first it wasn't so hostile. Like, there wasn't some ancient hostility or anything like
1: that. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. I think that it was, like... Wittingly or unwittingly imposed, and certainly later on, it seems wittingly imposed. Like, that, you know, there are yeah, a lot yeah. of conspiracies of agent provocateurs and all of that kind of stuff coming from the KGB yeah, and stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: but yeah. all right, so the, uh, like, um, timeline for the actual, like, for Nagorno-Karabakh's, uh, like, border was um, Nagorno-Karabakh was fought over in 1905 and then again in 1918 through to 1920. And then it was allocated to Azerbaijan in 1921 and its borders drawn officially in 1923. Right. The concept of, like, nationalism belonging to, like, a sort of geographical uh, location and, like, nation-state is, like, quite a new concept in uh, in the South Caucasus because, like, oh, that was just not really how they operated. That's, like, a very kind of uh, 19, uh, 20th century idea over there. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like, it was just encouraged completely by kind of Soviet, uh, you know, like, conquest. Agitation. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. agitation, yeah.
2: And, they, and these are still kind of sort of, like, farming, like, communities mostly, like, kind of very poor Soviet, like, working countries. Like, what's the, what's the sort of atmosphere like, like, you know, like, going back to the early 20th century in, like, both these countries?
1: Well, it has like it had a couple of relatively big cities. It had um, uh, Stepanakert, which is like still kind of the Armenian it is capital. capital yeah. Right? yeah, and then um and then there was Shusha. I think it's called
0: Shusha. Shusha and Shushi. Shushi. It's different for both. Yeah,
1: yeah. Armenian. The Armenian uh, okay. is Shusha.
0: Armenian is Shusha. Yeah, and, and Aziz- Aziz Azerbaijan is, is yeah. Shushi. Yeah.
2: And Shushi is, like, a a, a site of cultural significance to Azerbaijani people, right? Or it's not yet? It is.
0: It's for both. For both sides. It's, like, that central city Ah. that holds, like, a lot of um, history and importance for both sides. Like, culturally, like, artistically. Ah, Yeah, that's, like, one of the main...
1: And militarily as well. Yeah. Like, uh, it had, like... Pretty massive strategic uh, advantages. Like, if you had control over Shusha in the region, then you could control Stepanakert as well, mm. which then meant that you pretty much okay. like, had the region.
0: Oh, no. So, I'm just correcting. It's Shusha for Azerbaijanis and Shushi for Armenians.
2: Yeah. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear Shushi a lot, which kind of is a very telling of my sources. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Look like, okay. here. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's definitely worth mentioning. I'm sure, like, it'll be kind of obvious throughout the episode. But like, a, any like slither of even six months of this whole history is it, is very complicated. Like, it's it's a very complicated geopolitical situation uh, at all times. Kind of in that region, I think. Yeah. Yeah. As in, like, as in, like, it's hard to do broad strokes. I think.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, another one of the kind of major. Um like, dividing factors between the two cultures was the um, the uh, Armenian genocide from Turkey, which, you know, like, I, I would imagine that most people would know about. Well, essentially what happened was, like, uh, during the Ottoman Empire, there was, like, still, like, a whole lot of um, uh, Turkish Armenians, like, Armenians living in Turkey, and as the uh, Ottoman Empire collapsed, they started, a, like, ethnically cleansing the... Armenians. Uh, Estimated between 800,000 and 1.2 million people, uh, women, children, elderly and infirm Armenians were were deported on death marches leading to the Syrian desert. Yeah, so obviously an awful thing and Turkey's never taken any responsibility for it. And uh, and it was like... Shock horror. (laughs) Yeah, it was a, you know, obviously it was a hugely important thing for the Armenians and the Azerbaijani kind of like... Relationship with Turkey staying as strong as it did, and continues to stay like to be as strong as it ever has, or you know, arguably getting stronger. Um, definitely, kind of divided the two, uh, the two countries, uh, the two, the two cultures. Azerbaijan. Part of Azerbaijan's like uh, motivations for uh, like strengthening their relationship with Turkey was to do with their um, wanting to stay somewhat distant from Russia because they weren't happy with like, the Soviet conquest yet.
0: This is, mm. this is still back in the 20s?
1: Uh, well, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, like, soon after the... And, 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 like, after all of the Armenian, uh, Turkish-Armenians had to then move, like, become refugees in Armenia, leaving Turkey after the genocide.
0: To summarise what happened in the 20s, so the Soviet Union took power... The Armenian genocide occurred, and so a lot of Armenians had to go back to Armenia, uh, were displaced to Armenia, while the Soviet Union still had power over Nagorno Karabakh.
1: Yeah, then the whole South Caucasus.
0: Okay, so that's still happening. And this is all just, and everyone's just, you know, living their lives under the Soviet rule. Yeah. Okay. Early Soviet rule, though. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I feel like it's, like, like I I heard, like, a, a vague statistic somewhere that, like, even up to, like, the 90s, like, Nagorno-Karabakh was still, like, 70 or 80%, don't quote me on that, like, uh, Armenian, like, culturally Armenian people. Yeah. But it was sort of cut off from, like, the rest of Armenia with, like, a couple of little straits that become important and, like, skirmishes in, in like, the war. But I think, like, for watching stuff from the 80s, what really first stands out to me um, is, like, like, looking at it, it, like, I, you know, just, it, uh, you know, we'll Soviet, to that in a second, Soviet footage, but it, it really, like, everything to me looks like hundreds of years before that. Like, it looks like the 50s or something like that. Like, you know, it's really, like, you know, like Soviet farming communities and, like, and the way that, like, people seem to talk about each other, like, when there was initial protests uh, about, like, Nagorno-Karabakh, um People were talking about, like, you know, people from like Azerbaijan were talking about it like uh, they'd never seen, um, well, let me find this, never seen a rally before. And like, that like protest culture happens in the US and England, not the USSR. So. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it was the first major protest of the Soviet Union. It's like the protests in, yeah, yeah. in Yerevan in like 88 were there was like a million people marching in the streets. Yeah, 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 and yeah. yeah the Soviet Union had never seen that before. There's always been a campaign to to reunify um, Nagorno-Karabakh with Armenia, and in the 40s there was a there was an attempt to um, bring it back. And Stalin essentially just left it the way it was. I think was
2: right. Okay. So the
0: way that it had already been was already in control of Azerbaijan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, from the 20s. From the 20s. Yeah. yeah.
2: Then I feel like, feel like a sort of in the, like, so 87 is it that the Karabakh protest group forms, like around then?
1: Yeah, I thought it was 88. I think it's 88.
2: Maybe it's 88. It could be eighty. I I don't know. Don't don't hold me on any of these dates. (laughs) Well, this is kind of like, I mean, like this period of time is when the tension starts to really arise, like political tension in Karabakh and people are really trying to like, there's a big movement to kind of realign with Armenia and Azerbaijan's not so much involved at this point apart from like when the rallies begin then somehow it gets a little muddled right like around this yeah w- what
1: i think happened was that the um <clears throat> like the armenian the like karabakh armenians like i think what did they say uh, on the 20th of february in 1988 they signed a like a petition for unification reunification with armenia and then yerevan the capital of armenia pretty quickly kind of uh got into this idea and then it didn't take long before it had turned into a pretty massive movement but because like a lot of Azerbaijan I think the capital being in Baku way over to the east like uh, by the like on the coast um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think that the news kind of it didn't concern the Azerbaijanis as much as it did the Armenians and so they the first yeah, that yeah. they had heard of it was essentially when there's then footage of a million people marching calling for what they believe to be azerbaijani land to be taken away from them
2: and then there's some like there's uh, there's some stuff around this time period like every single source i turn to kind of characterize it characterizes it differently but like you know things happening like at rallies in certain cities like azerbaijani like uh guards like sh- accidentally shooting up meaning people or shooting them on purpose or you know like accusations of like uh, armenian dissidents with weapons and then maybe they don't have them all, or but like you know like a bunch of people get shot that are azerbaijani yeah heritage. well
1: the, i think like what kind of really started kicking it all off was that there was a small cl- clash in um askaran which is in uh, nagorno karabakh where yeah. um uh, word got out i don't know i don't know if this is true or not but uh, word got out that uh two young azerbaijani women had been uh raped by Armenians, and this kicks off a, like, a fight in the, uh, in the city, or in the, in the town, and, uh, two young Azerbaijani dudes ended up dead, but apparently one of them was killed by an Azerbaijani cop. Oh. Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, and then some, and then the radio didn't specify that it was, or, or wasn't, yeah. a, a Azerbaijani people yeah. shooting, like, Azerbaijani people, or whatever. Yeah,
1: and so then, you know, that dominoes over to a week later, where, um, you get these uh, anti Armenian pogroms in the city of Sumgate Sum sumgate or something like I don't know how to pronounce it. Sumgate,
2: I think. Um, but that was, and that was like a like a petrol processing uh, town or something, right? Something like yeah, that, I think so. Like That's a, just factory town. Yeah, like.
1: it's just north of um of uh of Baku, also on the coast, but on the other side of the the cape. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I think in that um, in those pogroms there was like thirty people. 30 armenians were killed and it was quite like it got quite brutal
2: yeah i think this is when it kind of starts this tit-for-tat ramping up of like uh brutal more and more brutal killings and like more and more like uh you know i don't know like some of the stuff you hear around this time like the first hand accounts like it there's this ramp up of like how uh like yeah brutal like the attacks on on each other's people are and the displacement of people and like um you know Armenians in Azerbaijan, Azerbaijani people in Armenia, kind of suffering. You know, living in in cities or whatever like that. Yeah, well, yeah. These and
0: poor people just being living in this area, swept up, yeah. like yeah, uh, who could like who yeah, yeah, yeah. could, could have lived there for anything. a really really long exactly. time as well. You know, like absolutely generationally. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I I'm just putting my two cents in here. This is the thing that frustrates me most about this is like obviously these people who are living in Nagorno Karabakh could be there for generations. Either Armenian or Azerbaijani, and it's just their countries that are now fighting over this area, like governments that are fighting over this area who don't live there and who have. Well, at this no... time it's not. Yeah. At this
1: time it is. It's like it. It's not um, kind of like official in any way. It is like citizens taking it upon themselves to to expel. Um.
2: Yeah, and the hatred, but the hatred just gets worse and worse. And like, I mean, like in the documentary I watched parts of a circle, which is like uh, journalists from from both size of the conflict uh, kind of like creating like a, like a, a timeline of the events, but like there's so much footage and so many stories from like swaves of like old women covered in bruises and stories about heads getting cut off and like, you know, threats like bandied about and people just roaming through towns and like chasing out people from different ethnic groups and like a kind of like uh, unofficial ethnic uh, and ethnic targeting, maybe is best way to put it, I guess. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think that a lot of what and like happened because you know there was that in uh, some some gate some gate um, where that was like in a very like Azerbaijani city you know like far away from Nagorno Karabakh. But then I think for a long time after that, for about a year after that, it tended to just be a group of Armenians will roll into an an Azerbaijani town in Nagorno Karabakh, kick them all out. And then and then take over their houses and so on and so forth, like, between the two of yeah, them.
2: Yeah, and, and the Soviets are kind of, like, not really... Like, you know, obviously with, like, the uh, trickle of information in, like, you know, the Soviet newspapers are not saying much about it at all. Like, even I think after some there was just, like, two sentences in, like, some of the main newspapers on, like, page four. And the Soviets kind of get pulled into it, but are kind of trying to sort of stick out of it, but are kind of, like... I heard it described as, like like it becomes sort of like the situation that the Soviets like to do of like canned warfare, like they're kind of trying to squash it
0: a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they didn't really like want to be dealing with it, but they yeah, eventually had yeah. to address it.
0: Well, if they're in control of the area or their so-called land, then they should deal with it. But
1: At this point, because this is like – like we've because we've had such a time skip, and this is something that I kept on running into, like – this is the this is like the late eighties. This is like not long. Before well, this is we were Gorbachev, born. yeah. yeah. So like, oh, this true. is like a um a very different Soviet Union to the to Stalin, you know. Mm. And this yeah, is the, the this cracks, is like this the is only have started four years before appear, it completely yeah. collapsed, you know, like a couple mm. of years before it, it, it just goes. I know. I the always toilet. forget
0: the Soviet Union collapsed in like the nineties. Yeah, crazy. I know. Like
1: I kept on finding. Like I remember when I was reading about the uh the marches in Yerevan, I was like, wow, that must have been amazing. Like the first like huge marches of the Soviet Union. I wish I could see it. And I was like, oh. I've Fuck I cannot look it up on YouTube like someone was there with a yeah, home video is, camera like dang. recording. Yeah, it's it.
0: wild. It's
2: And like and and because like the footage is so some of it is so terrible and the people are so impoverished, you really think when I'm looking back at it that it's very historical and realize like Oh, I was alive for, like, a lot of this. Like, I was born. You know,
0: like, it's crazy, like, to think about, like... It is so wild to think of that.
2: But, yeah, so then in late 88, Gorbachev arrests the Karabakh group uh, and returns the region to Azerbaijan because they kind of elected themselves to be, like, uh, independent. Um, And then installs, like, a leader who I think was, like, a veteran from, like, the war in Afghanistan. Yeah.
1: So um, I've got, like, I'll, like, give you a brief description of Polinichko, who was installed yeah he's like he was from uh he's like a russian dude who um yeah was a pretty major part of some pretty kind of like uh like i don't like disruptive campaigns in in the afghan war like he was um a lot of which he would like then go on to like utilize in this whole war where of um so like yeah that really kind of creepy psyop sort of like soviet kgb you know Like, yeah, and I think that the Soviets had an interest in both countries, but they had a particular interest in Azerbaijan because Azerbaijan for a while was like the largest producer of oil in the whole, in the whole world.
2: But not, not quite, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's more in the 2000s that that they really started to make a lot of money through oil or is that... No,
1: I think they always did. I think it was just that after the collapse of the Ah. Soviet Union, they could start, um,
2: making their own money. Yeah.
0: But them. it's also okay, because right. they are they have a port, like they they have borders onto the sea whereas Armenia is landlocked. So obviously for, you know, taking over a country, I would assume a landlocked country is not as beneficial as one uh, close to the sea.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I know that another one of the um, uh, reasons that Russia was keen on keeping Azerbaijan happy was because they saw it as like a kind of red bacon of mm. of Islam for like Iran yeah, and, yeah. and and Arabia and mm-hmm. and all of that, mm-hmm.
2: but but they they're sort of politically uh, at this point are they still politically closer allies to Armenia or is that happen sort of after the we can cut this out I'm just curious yeah it happens uh, after
0: that's like very like what's uh, yeah, now like oh yeah no okay. but but
1: yeah but like Russia's part in this whole thing is I'll get into that incredibly very, very strange because like, <laughs> throughout throughout this war they did some very strange stuff like Russia fought yeah, itself yeah. at one point which is really yeah, weird right. they were fighting like they were they were invading Nagorno-Karabakh and also fending off themselves from Nagorno-Karabakh on both sides of the war. Right, uh, right, in right, the right, 80s right. in the in the 90s oh, when wow. the when the war started okay. yeah. yeah yeah really right, right. really weird <laughs> yeah it was yeah i don't understand so the, then... the gymnastics of this whole thing yeah so in January of 89 uh the like Moscow realizes that they have to kind of take control over the region and and try and in, install some water. and so then that's I think that's when they put in Polenichko, Polenichko. um Yeah. At the same time, Azerbaijan puts in place a couple of different apparatuses to to really like hurt the Armenian economy with uh, like trade routes and things like that uh, being being mm. blocked. And then uh, in very early January, on the, like between the twelfth and the nineteenth. In Baku, there is another pogrom.
2: And so then, and so, like, and and kind of, like, the whole time, like, Armenia's been, like, what I saw a lot of in, in, like, my research was more, like, that there was a lot of, like, chaos and, like, non-cooperation on the Armenian side and a lot of, like, revolt against the Soviets in this. But I think also the that that sort of very much speaks to my sources. <laughs> yeah, yeah I,
1: I would imagine, I think that there was, like, a lot of frustration with, with the Soviets from Armenia because they had been so complacent amongst the whole thing. And... And, yeah, and yeah, as yeah. as the war really started to kick off more and more, then they just became more and more resentful towards the Soviets because the Soviets were like helping Azerbaijan to do all of these awful things. So yeah, um, yeah, we've got this pogrom in this week long pogrom in uh, Baku, which like started off as this like big nationalist rally and then turned into pretty quickly like mobs of like heaps of azerbaijanis just like going like marching through the um armenian quarters of the city and just killing anyone that they could but it was yeah it's, it's awful horrible. like um just... how many so it says um thomas de wall to devol well he estimates 90 people 90 Ar- armenians were killed in um in these like in these pogroms and i've got a quote here which i don't think i'm actually going to read the whole thing cuz it's quite awful
0: just read the whole thing so.
1: All right. Well, then I am going to put a trigger warning on it. But uh, for five days in January of nineteen ninety, the Armenian community of Baku were killed, tortured, robbed, and humiliated. Um, pregnant women and their babies were molested. Little girls raped in front of their parents' eyes. And Christian crosses were burnt on the on their backs, and they were abused for their Christian faith. It was really, really nasty. Yeah, fuck that. And horrible. some of this stuff, you know, like you know, like what we were talking about earlier, where it's so brutal, you just assume that it must have happened ages ago. But it's like this was in in mm. 1989 like 1990 yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, crazy not long ago at all
2: uh, this is in baku like this is in the capital of azerbaijan right like, yeah
1: yeah and there isn't so like fucked. there isn't a whole lot of um, armenians left there but
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah there's like some awful stories of like uh of people having to pretend to be azerbaijani to avoid like these gangs and and azerbaijanis yeah, yeah. like like stopping people in the street and if they had an armenian sounding name they'd just like beat the fuck out of them or kill them or, oh
2: my god mm
1: really gory
2: yeah really horrible and i think this this kind of like this culture like you can i mean like you know i mean arguably you see it maybe more from azerbaijan but it definitely does like yeah it does like it does um escalate on both sides and it's kind of this this tit for tat thing comes into effect around now i feel like maybe now where it's kind of like when one side does something the other side kind of responds i mean like maybe more recently it's sort of well, actually, we'll get to that maybe.
1: But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get to the very contentious <laughs> stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I don't think there was, there was never like a full on, as far as I can tell, like a pogrom of that level in Armenia, Armenia. But there was this, uh, there was this one um, massacre called the uh, in the city of uh, Kola. Uh, I'm going to say Kajali, and I don't know if that's right at all because <clears throat> I haven't heard it said out loud. War eventually breaks out as, like, kind of... Um, oh, actually, no. All right, so I'll talk about the the, uh, the, iron, uh, the Iron Ring. Yeah, so the Iron Ring was, like, a kind of terrifying thing that Azerbaijan did under the direction of Polinichko, where they would create, like, a ring of, like, military around a particular village and force the deportation of all of the Armenian Armenians in that village.
2: Jesus Christ, this very, and this is before the war. This yeah, is
1: yeah, like, this, <laughs> isn't, this isn't actually part of it, which I was really surprised to hear Jesus. about. See, Azerbaijanis would roll in and demand that everyone signs a note saying that they're leaving of their own free will, but if they don't, there's all of these stories of people getting chopped to pieces, murdered, like,
0: Mm-mm. beaten. But they were directed by the Soviet to do this.
1: They were directed by this Polinichko guy.
0: Who was directed by the Soviet.
1: Not necessarily. He was just installed there by Moscow.
0: That's what I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, but, like, the Soviet, like, Moscow didn't necessarily tell him to do all of this stuff.
0: Oh. Well, then why would he be doing this? The, the Soviets just kind of, add,
2: like, add, they, they just stick their fingers in all the time, like, to anyone sort of within, like, the Soviet Union. Like, they're always there kind of fucking around. Like, kind of like the way, like, the US will do that in like South America or whatever, it's like these psyops and like trying to like right, conveniently okay. like they th- they sort of like when it's convenient for them they ramp things up and when it's convenient for thing for like when it feels necessary they cool things down like uh, sort of at their own will like there's a, like a, like canned war I don't know like actually I think I already mentioned that so <laughs> let's not put, I won't say that twice <laughs> okay. canned war but yeah no I think
1: like, like um the Soviets like uh used the um the fact that these were their own republics, especially towards the end of the Soviet Union like they belonged to the Soviet Union, but they weren't Russia, like they were their own countries you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah yeah yeah, and so yeah. they used that but the so like, they really of, had free reign, yeah. yeah, so they used that as a way of like intervening when they like when they wanted to, but if they didn't want to, they could be like, this is a republican matter right like it okay. doesn't yeah. You know, and so like that's why the installation of this Polynchko guy is like, Oh, we're just gonna help out here and and like install this guy who like, you know, outwardly like he'll help, but then he'll actually serve some some interests that we have potentially. But we don't necessarily wanna know everything about it.
2: And publicly, Gorbachev is kind of like all over the place. Yeah, like he's sometimes. falling apart
1: as well. Like he's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like he's really struggling because I think that's a big. That's another big part of it. Like, it's a really like it's a funny link between the collapse of the Soviet Union and this whole kind of war starting. Yeah, like, yeah, You yeah. can. It's like it seems like it's a pretty massive contributing factor to like was the state of the USSR and like and the, the yeah, fact yeah, that it was about yeah. to collapse. I think it could be argued that the USSR's downfall—if it hadn't kind of been in motion—then yeah. things would have gone like very differently.
2: So then, so then the Karabakh committee is like is freed, and Armenian declare independence from the U- Soviet Union. That's like that's like January 1990, yeah. and then sort of like this is kind of when something which I don't fully still completely understand, maybe is, as much as I should, but like around then, like. The Soviets and the Azeris kind of, like, team up uh, to keep the Soviet Union together, but kind of, like, like the Azeris throw in their, um, their uh, what do you say, like, they throw in their towel into the, no, <laughs> it's like, like, they kind of, they throw in with the Soviet Union hardcore because they feel like they're going to get back up from them. It gets it gets murky right here, but basically I think something like that happens from my notes is like the like the Azeris go in with the Soviet Union hard just before like the USSR dissolves. So they kind of like throw in with the Soviet Union and then it falls back in their face because the Soviet Union's done.
0: Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yep.
2: Yeah, and 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 it was something about like uh, it was it was something about like like I don't really I don't really get that bit actually that much like uh, like it was something about like they were going to supply a lot of troops and like make sure that like the war went in, in the Azeri's favor but then kind of in the end like a bunch of weapons and USSR like uh supplies end up on both sides kind of scattered around.
1: Yeah, so I think that the way that it all went with the war was that um to begin with the Armenians were suffering really hard with uh like the Soviet support. Uh, going to Azerbaijan. And then, as the Soviet Union fell to pieces, then so did Azerbaijan. And um, then, like, they were able to. Uh, the, I know that the uh, Stepanakert at one point was kind of besieged for a couple of months by the Azerbaijanis because they had the control of uh, Shushi. And then eventually, um,
2: the Armenians managed to take over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is around uh, Kojali, Kojali. I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. this is around that time period, and like I, the only thing I have, kind of like any explanation of that at all, is like that a lot of um, a lot of as uh, a Aze- then this is you know from the obviously from the Armenian side, so they're gonna want to try and clear it up, but um, they they talk about a lot of like uh, um, uh, Azerbaijani soldiers were mixed in with the citizens, so it was hard to know who was who, um, and it was dark and. Uh, It was just, the whole thing was very messy and so like uh, they weren't in an area where they were supposed to be and so they ended up killing a bunch of civilians. But I mean like there was a, it was a massacre, right? Like a big like. Yeah, that's the, the, the yeah. That's, it's an interesting
1: thing. It's hard to really like, it's hard to know because, so yeah, what happened with that massacre was that they um, had gotten word that uh, Armenia was about to like take the uh, the city and so a bunch of like everyone was being. The city
0: of Kajali. Kajali, yeah. Uh,
1: the city was being evacuated, and they were running through, like in the middle of the night, through like foot deep snow. And they ran yeah, out into yeah. a field where there was a bunch of like Armenians on the top of this hill, and they just mowed them down. I think it was four hundred and fifty yeah. people got killed, and
2: and there were, there was a lot of desecrations of like the bodies afterwards. I think a lot of things yeah. got cut off, and like, yeah,
1: dude, I so I like um in the in Black Garden they referenced the um. The day after, a couple of days after that happened, there was like a parliamentary meeting where someone showed the footage of uh, the aftermath of this whole thing. And yeah, Thomas yeah. DeWall like describes it as like changing the history, like changing the course of Arme- of Azerbaijan for good. And so reading that, I thought I'd like look it up and see if I could find that footage. And it was horrifying. Yeah, I, Honestly, yeah, some of the it's, worst it's footage all, I've it's awful. ever yeah. seen. like. It's And it is quite hard to believe that it was in any real way an accident. I know that there was a quote in the book of a guy who quite, like an Armenian dude, who quite brutally said, we needed to kind of assert that we weren't necessarily above killing civilians as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. Right. And I mean, like, throughout this conflict, there's, like, a lot of uh, civilians getting killed on both sides. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, like you know, just in general, like, this is this is a very messy war. Like, it's not a, uh, you know, like, it, it, everything's getting mixed in with civilians the whole time. And there's a lot of, like, displacement and, and, like, a lot of, like, people that have no interest in the war are suffering. Like, and also, like, a lot of recruitment, like, I think, uh, oh, I don't even know when this is, but I remember Azerbaijan at one point, like... Oh I maybe I don't remember enough about this, but like would just be like bring ten people from each of your villages like right now and and come on in and like you know these people aren't really particularly trained or you know whatever for whatever this if this makes a difference, but like military discipline wasn't really a part of like it was very it was a it was a flash in the pan kind of thing, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, the beginning of the war was kind of uh like fought by a lot of criminals were the people that kind of started. These sort of mini militias that ended up fighting in like the this mm. first war. And so I think that the kind of escalating brutality the tone, on both sides, the tone, yeah. Yeah, kind of like comes from a, a lack of any sort of I don't know what you'd call it, but like yeah, I guess like military Mm. You... Like
0: yeah, military organization. Yeah,
1: yeah, or like a military mm. code of conduct that, like,
0: you know, yeah, yeah. you would is get. Is there an the... actual code of conduct in the military,
2: though? <laughs> I think I think that, that maybe the difference is is like they're they're not as worried about being tried. Like, uh, you know, it happens all over the world, but it, like most of them are at least afraid of retroactively getting in trouble for war crimes yeah. as well as like. Yeah. And even and even pr- pride, like a lot of pride in like, you know, like when something happens in like the Falklands, it's like a, something that like the, the militaries are very much trying to hide. Like the propaganda in, in the countries like back in England would be like, oh, our, our wonderful brave soldiers. But then in these countries, I think it's almost the polar opposite where it's like, look at what we're doing to these, you know, like these people that we hate so much. So then they take sushi, like Armenia takes sushi around like May.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's and then soon after that, the uh, Azerbaijani government starts to kind of fall to pieces, and their military falls to pieces, and um, and then essentially, I guess, like to wrap this all up, I suppose, like throughout this whole thing, a whole like a whole bunch of different countries have been trying to mediate like a a peace deal, like a peace treaty and a ceasefire that gets breached a few times, and someone else tries to do it, and eventually. One is signed, but it is like very sketchy, and it leaves nagorno karabakh as like this exclave of you know like i i mean i would say personally armenian territory that exists like inside of azerbaijan
2: so yeah like so f- from um so after the war it's like there's a it's now it gets very political and like uh, it's it's very um uh it's it's not as it's not as clear about uh that from here on, it just gets very political, so it gets kind of murky. But, like, um, there's it's so the war never actually is is settled, it's like kind of I don't know, like put on simmer. Like, up until now, it's still on simmer. Like, it's never like Nagorno Karabakh is always contested, and there's a lot of arguing, uh, obviously between Azerbaijan and Armenia, um, about like what it's considered and how it should be considered. Um, but basically it feels like to characterize and like this opinion changes over the, the time periods, but like to characterize it a lot. And, it, and if I've got this wrong, don't, don't get angry at me. This is just what I'm, my understanding is like Armenia is kind of fighting for Nagorno-Karabakh to kind of like uh, make a decision about its own, uh, you know, independence or whether it would, you know, become a part of Armenia, um, which it probably would. Uh, and Azerbaijan wants to have kind of direct control over, like, their, you know, in parenthesis, like, old territory. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, like, a varying, very complex uh, attempts at peace uh, in, like, uh, the the Minsk group, uh, which is, like, the OSCE, uh, which is, like, a kind of, uh, like, I've got a little uh, explanation over here. Like, it's co-chaired by France, Russia, the United States get involved, um, it's kind of like through the UN and like they set up like a bunch of different meetings and proposed peace settlements um, which stretches on until like 2009 and they're kind of sticking their fingers in and like proposing a bunch of different peace deals like, uh, and it's so complicated I had them written down but like, like, you know like one would be that there's these kind of like islands between the two countries but you know, you get this part of Nagorno-Karabakh and, and you get this part or like, and then some of them are like oh, we li- it's a referendum. And, like, all these things are floated and then turned down and there's a lot of, like, um, there's a lot of politics. And, like, at the UN in Madrid, uh, I don't have a date on that, um, there's, like, a, a big public, uh, like, like Azerbaijan votes down, like, a lot of the peace deals, like, publicly in the UN. It causes a lot of trouble. Um, the US stick their head in around the 2000s, uh, for a little while, and there's, like, there's all kinds of horrible stuff going on. It's, like, too much to kind of get into the specifics, but there's, like, and this is what I mean by the politics and and the complications. It's all, like, you know, like, I think one thing that I really, from the documentary I watched uh, Parts of a Circle is, like, after the war ended, you know, Azerbaijan, our media were completely cut off from each other socially and culturally, so there's no exchange People from either country aren't getting to know each other, and the propaganda, especially maybe in Azerbaijan, from the sources that I'm like looking at, at least like get ramped up really hard, so that like the hatred is just is boiling. Um, and so there's a lot of propaganda on, on both sides, I guess. Um, uh, as in t- about around 2003, uh, Azerbaijan changes a lot. Like it, it, a lot more money is coming in. They're selling a lot of oil. Uh, there's, a, like, a lot of pipelines being set up with, like... Uh, which I'll get into later, but, like... Yeah, so they're like, their economy, like, starts to boom and they really become, like, the superior economic power. Um, and there's a lot of changing of leaderships in both countries. I mean, it's a long pe- time... Like, a long time period. Um, uh, but basically, kind of, like, depending on who's in power at the time, the negotiations are either kind of at a stalemate or one side's flaring up. Um, and, like, there's a couple of, like uh you know i mean like there's there's the we'll have a list of sources that'll like cover this time period maybe more specifically with like 2006 there's like a five-day war and there's like little flare-ups here and there but basically to really you know generalize it's like there's peace deals being made but there's like a lot of agitation on both sides mm. so like a uh and uh, I, I, I can't fucking pronounce his name i'm sorry uh, Ser say I can't pronounce it, but people from um, Armenia pronounce it as Ser San, but maybe I'm getting that wrong. So Ser San is um, like the uh, – not the, the – the but the prime minister or the president? There's a president and there's a something else in Armenia. What is it? It's not president? It is and the prime, prime minister. minister. They, yeah, but – It is prime minister, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, but they've got presidents and prime ministers.
2: Yeah, yeah, but he's the prime minister, right? So Ser San is like um, – People are are really angry because he's not very aggressive uh, towards Azerbaijan. And in 2018, there's, like, a sort of velvet revolution, so, like, a non-violent revolution where Nicole Pashinyan, who is... um, But, like, he's... Nicole Pashinyan is, like, a man of the people. He's, like, known to be very aggressive uh, in his politics and people see him as someone who, like, is more likely to kind of take action against uh, Azerbaijan. And he kind of, like through a kind of non-violent revolution kind of takes office, like he's voted in. Um, and so like, then like, then like from about 2018 onwards, it like, you know, the, the escalating uh, agitation on both sides start to ramp up. And here, like, I mean, Turkey's involvement the whole time has kind of been uh, present in Azerbaijan, but this is where things start to get a kind of like a, they kind of intertwine with each other. Um, so basically like there's like there's a bunch of stuff I'm really skimming over but there's like aggression on both sides and um the Azerbaijani propaganda is, is really especially starting to ramp up and like Armenia is getting more excited at the prospect of like fighting like a, a war again um and then kind of around the 2020s like uh the 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 war that we know uh sparks in proper uh which maybe Rachel can kind of, like, like get into the timeline of that.
0: Yeah, so I guess in terms of the timeline of, like, what kind of we've been seeing in the media or if you haven't seen in the media <laughs> what's been happening recently, um, come, like, September of last year, that's when things started heating up and I guess, like, that's when the second battle or section of the war really began. Um and it started happening when.
2: Uh well, this is also the bit that's kind of contentious because me and Rachel have read different media sources, and, I, and I've got a feeling we're gonna ha- we might have a different idea about about like what how the war is, is sparked and like what goes into it just beforehand. So I mean, like this might be a, like it might we might differ on the opinions of like well, like from our sources.
0: Yeah, pro- probably. Differ.
2: I mean from like the sources that I'm reading, it feels very much like Turkey and azerbaijan it was like a like it was a planned invasion um that that had been in the works i mean like there's there's maybe not so much evidence that like i mean like this is like you know independent journalists and there there's a bunch of things that they can point to, but like Turkey's bringing in like uh like uh you know like tanks and supplies you know like through kind of smoke screens of like oh it's like um war games and then they kind of like the tanks don't leave Azerbaijan you know and, so, and, and it kind of feels like that like I, th- I think it's it's sort of like an open secret that like turkey like is really involved with like the planning of this war from Azerbaijan and then uh it kind of is sparked with like there's like a, a bombing on the border that like some of like the people i was listening to kind of don't want to out and out say necessarily that it was faked but it definitely feels like it was uh Possibly Azerbaijani propaganda, and that kind of like uh, creates like that's kind of like the powder keg blows up for like the the most recent conflict. But uh, but also that that's you know this is what I've understood from the sources I've read.
1: I like I mean I it wouldn't totally surprise me because I know that at the start of the uh, Turkish invasion of Rojava there was um, instances where there were. Um, uh artillery was being shot across the uh Syrian border into Turkey into predominantly Kurdish towns of Turkey and then when mm. the locals looked at it <clears throat> looked at the um at the at the bombs they saw that they were turkish made and so like i think turkey definitely has false flag stuff sort of in its you know, well, Arsenal.
2: What 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 I've understood, and again, I, I very easily could have got this wrong, is that it was. It could have even been a fake video of of like okay, Armenia yeah, yeah. sort of like shelling shelling um the border, right? But like definitely, what they can is like that around the time when, it, whenever like Azerbaijan invades sort of disputed territory or whatever like there's a big ramp up of like Azerbaijani propaganda against Armenia. And and that kind of happened big time. Like Aliyev, if I pronounce that right, like Aliyev was really going hard on like Armenia just before it happened. And it feels, it feels like, you know, like, like without knowing, it feels kind of like that, is the narrative that I'm getting anyway. But I don't know what this, your sources, Rachel, would have said about that. Maybe it's the same. I don't know.
0: Yeah, so I guess my sources, because I was just um, researching like mainstream media and none of my sources went into what actually sparked the second conflict that happened in 2020. Yeah, right, right. Like all I read was that um, Azerbaijani military forces invaded the Republic of Artsakh, which is – the Nagorno-Karabakh region that was declared the Republic of Artsakh by the Armenian civilians that lived there. Um, And they were never actually recognised by Armenia, by Azerbaijan, by the world. And they were just kind of like their own little society. Um, But Armenian soldiers were then sent to protect them when the Azerbaijanis came in. So then this is what kind of created the the current conflict. Um, and then it kind of led to basically, um, yeah. So like, I guess from what I was reading, my sources like, didn't really go into that much background in terms of like, who was backing who. It was more just saying that Turkey was, uh, supporting Azerbaijan with military, like, ground people, and that Russia then was eventually brought in towards the end with peacekeeper troops to go in and to try and, like, kind of soften what everything was going on. But this only happened after the Battle of Shusha, which is um, where over, like, 6,000 civilians were killed on either side, both Armenian and Azerbaijani. And so after that, it was, like, a huge... Battle. And there was like heaps and heaps of people that died. And like, I guess, um, again, my sources didn't go into the brutalities of it all. Cause I guess they just, what, are, what are your sources like kind of talk my, about the war itself? Yeah, so no, really, all of my sources were just talking about more the peace deal. Like, they didn't really get... And the politics of it. Yeah, yeah. because I was reading, like, the New York Times, The Guardian. I was listening to a podcast, The Economist Radio. Uh, That was, like, actually quite interesting (laughs) because they uh, interviewed a Turkey correspondent and they were saying (laughs) how... Turkey being bringing in um Syrian mercenaries. Mercenaries yeah. were skeptical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were like I'm, mm, I'm we don't know if that's to believed and what? I was like, "Oh." Really? What but <laughs> yeah, is this, the this is
2: like a is, this is a Turkish like diplomat that they were talking to?
0: Uh just a correspondent, yeah. Correspondent, okay. But yeah, I thought <laughs> so that, that was been, very like Marty, a
2: surprise Marty, just right. off. It's it's interesting with the Syrian mercenaries, because basically like what has since been kind of proven, uh, is that like uh Turkey was sort of importing uh, mercenaries from Syria, like and their kind of specific mercenaries from Syria, like their groups that they set up who were known to be like particularly like Turkey. Like HTS uh, and
1: stuff like that, yeah.
2: Oh uh or I don't remember the acronym. Uh, I should I should but I don't. Um but it was a different one, but like kind of that are known to be kind of like pretty brutal, like brutal. Yeah. And like pretty lenient in terms of like, uh, yeah, war crimes and stuff like, um, and then, but then the, the podcast I listened to about it, which was a popular front episode, a lot of what I listened to about this is like comes from stems from or comes directly from the popular front episodes I've listened to. But, like, there was a little, at the beginning, no one thought that, like, it could be possible that, like, Turkey was really importing um, militia from Syria. But then it was since kind of proven that, like, a lot of, like, recruiting happened on WhatsApp. Um, And there was kind of, like, at the beginning, it was this trickery from the Turkish as well, where it was this, like, you'll learn, like, quite a lot of money being a border guard uh, in, um, you know, the conflict zone. We need more uh, boots on the ground. And obviously all this stuff is, like definitely not like mainstream information like this is kind of like proven from a bunch of like uh, i don't know like there's a lot of interviews with with the mercenaries and there's like some video evidence and there's like you know i don't like but it's the turkey's not being open about this at all yeah um, yeah that's and, and then and then kind of like when they arrive kind of realize that they were like that the war which is also kind of evidence that like turkey helped plan the invasion because it was just before the war out they became like these you know Border guards in parentheses, and then were quickly just used as like cannon fodder, uh, and um, were never also paid for anything that they did. A lot of them, <laughs> T- Turkey was kind of like the like uh, I don't know, like because they were pretty open about supporting like uh, um, supporting Azerbaijan, and like it kind of works for their politics because firstly they they want to like stick their fingers into like the region, and and they um. Like the Turkish right are very into the idea of like supporting their like ethno-Turkish allies and like they don't like Armenia. And there's also a pipeline like situation, like Azerbaijan sort of is rich off oil and like it relies off the Bako-Tbilisi-Kehan-BTC pipeline, I've heard that called like a bunch of different things, and that runs through Turkey Um, and some of like the Armenian activity kind of threatened the pipeline. And a lot of their wealth comes through their um, what runs through, through the also, pipeline? Is it natural gas? Let me check. <laughs> <laughs> it's not.
1: If you don't want to, it doesn't. It doesn't matter.
2: Um, uh, crude oil. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Right. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, and. Uh, so, like, Turkey's very interested in getting involved in, like, uh, like alter the local dynamics. And they're very interested in what I've heard described as low-cost, high-impact interventions, like, in northern Syria and, and Libya. Um, and they're supplying a lot of drones, which has really shaped, like, the warfare. Um, compared to, like, the 90s to now, it's a very modern... Uh, battlefield because like Azerbaijan already had like economic power over Armenia like in terms of like their military and everything they were already kind of like definitely had an advantage and then with Turkey's backing which you know like they they just mowed Armenia like really quickly which it seems like a lot of Armenian people really struggled with like the reality of because they won in the 90s and it just didn't seem like that they would lose you know
1: do you have a do, do? you have any info on because um, I, I I know that there was some link uh, as well with Israel.
2: I didn't look into that much, but I know that Israel was like providing some weapons. But I, I think I Israel, Israel just s-
0: um, voiced their support to Azerbaijan. I
2: think that they, did,
1: did they not sell yeah. them some? They
0: supplied some.
1: Did, yeah, they supplied some weaponry. I feel like I saw something. It was like seventy million dollars worth of weaponry was sold to Azerbaijan mm. by Israel.
2: Well, yeah, maybe. Well, this is the other thing is so because of its like, proximity
1: to Iran, yeah.
2: Azerbaijan is like, Azerbaijan, Russia, Israel, and a bunch of countries are all like selling weapons. Like, so there's like a, like Russia's involvement with this, which are kind of like, maybe I'll get to with the, the, when Rachel gets into the peacekeeping. But Russia kind of is like stuck in like a kind of precarious uh, political position where they're kind of like, um, staying out of it, but also want to end this, and they they kind of want to, like... uh... So,
1: apparently, Russia has, like, an alliance with Armenia that says that they would, like, support Armenia in the event of an Azerbaijani invasion. But because Nagorno-Karabakh is uh, recognised internationally as belonging to Azerbaijan, they didn't want to get involved. They had grounds to not get involved in the actual, like, in terms of full-on military support, because the actual, like, legal ba- border of Armenia was never under threat in this war. And so that meant that they could kind of, like, gave them a bit of a, like, a trump card on the whole thing. Yeah, where they could,
2: they could avoid getting oh, involved, kind okay. of in the same way as they did yeah, yeah, get that.
1: back in the Soviet
2: days. Like a loophole or something, yeah. But then Armenian territory did kind of eventually get invaded towards the end of the war, from my understanding, right, like a little bit. Yeah,
1: maybe that was – I don't know, but maybe that was the instigator. But, but it was
2: that was right yeah. at the end. Uh, but then also – so the, the UN, like, I mean, obvi- like Armenia and Azerbaijan are both in the UN, um, and the UN just didn't get involved whatsoever, right, like they barely mentioned it. Like,
1: beyond, beyond, beyond condemning answer. the conflict as a whole. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So as the, far as I understand. So then
2: basically the conflict, like – uh. You know, it was very, very bloody. A lot of drone, a lot of Turkey, a lot of Turkish drones uh, were used, like, in the fighting. It was, and, like, Armenia kind of got mowed back pretty quickly. And, like, it's been described as a very, very modern warfare. A lot, like, a high death count very, very quickly. Um, and, like, they sort of, like, you know, like, uh, Azerbaijan pushed back Armenia very, very quickly and kind of, like, took um, uh, Shushi... Which I think is also interesting that like I, like in my head it's sushi, but uh, to Rachel it's it's shush up because like I think a lot of the sources I've read are definitely kind of like betraying at least like Armenia as like uh, as like kind of uh, well actually I uh, I don't know like I don't know if it's fair to say but it, as in like like more like the underdogs maybe that's a stupid way of putting it but
0: yeah no 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 that makes sense because I feel like in my research. You can see the writers trying to be super unbiased, but a lot of the time it is very much just kind of saying, "But it is legally Azerbaijan." Yeah, which band. is
2: interesting because it's, it's not. not yeah, yeah, like yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So then, so, yeah, there's an interesting thing that with just like just with the name, like having two different names for a place, yeah, yeah, means that you inherently have to pick a it's side. It's kind of telling. Right? Like I've just I, I've been calling it Shusha because the book that I read. Refers to it as Shusha, and that was like all it took for like for it in my head to be Shusha. Most now. of
2: most of Shushi I take from this one documentary. So it could be that it's a more like something like to like maybe maybe there's some correlation we're making that isn't doesn't exist, but it feels kind of like political, right? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, like yeah, so then Shusha is taken by uh like Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan takes some Armenian territory. They really mow down Armenia and Armenia very suddenly uh, kind of sues for peace, um, which is responded to very, you know, like the the Armenian people are very upset.
0: So that actually isn't quite what happens. What happens is like Russia sends in like 2,000 peacekeeping troops because obviously the conflict is getting, like, way, way intense and, like, there's too many people that are dying. Yeah. And it's, like, causing a lot of issues. So Russia finally kind of steps in, brings in the peacekeeping troops. They go in and Russia is the one that actually brokers the deal. Like, um, Armenia doesn't actually come up with it like they were staying super true um the prime minister push
2: But I think I think what from what I've understood and maybe the, I don't even think this is my source I think this is my understanding and maybe I'm wrong is like that like Russia Russia calls like you know is it chairs the peace meetings but like um Armenia kind of like had to officially call off the war and freeze their troops where they were and everything like that before that happened but but Maybe I've just totally misunderstood Uh, the whole. Okay,
0: that's not what I got from it at all. I got from it that like Armenia didn't want to, um, like, like what Russia had to
2: come in and grab them both by the scruffs of the neck or whatever. Yeah, well, I'd be like, this could also be me being stupid. So you know, keep that in mind.
0: No, 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 I don't think so at all. I feel like it's just literally from what I read, I gathered that. Because um, I know that, like, I uh, think like, that's the uh, thing.
2: and and uh, and we can get to this later. If I'm sort of like, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna shut up in a moment. <laughs> but like, I feel like, uh, like there was a lot of pushback on. Um, let me go for the pronunciation of the Armenian. Um, it is Pashinyan, right? I think Ashinyan. so. The,
1: uh- Fuck it, yeah, we'll yeah. go for it. I, Pashinyan makes sense, yeah, but,
2: uh, but like, yeah, great. the Armenian reaction to like the the you know call for a ceasefire was very like Pashinian They turned against Pashinian very quickly and were very very angry about it.
1: Yeah, well, because he showed himself to be not quite as aggressive weak as in the they, face of the, yeah, neg- yeah. the, of the negotiations. Yeah, yeah, but
0: also, I don't think that's true. I feel like. If you're losing that many people and all of your people are dying. But this
1: is the opinion of, like, oh, Armenians. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know,
0: I know. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I don't think he wanted – because, like, from what I was reading, I was reading this New York Times article, and when they were all in a meeting together, Putin, Fashinyan, and – Aliyev. 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 Aliyev were all together. They were all, like, really, really quite rude to each other. And Pashinyan was not happy; <laughs> like he was not happy to be there. Um, so I it didn't had, seem like the way I had it reported
2: on, like Twitter and whatever, is that like the the meetings were quite calm and quite peaceful. But maybe there was a more recent, like in um, in uh, the Kremlin.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going by what I was reading. But yeah, they just he, they did not seem happy, and um, they were quite curt to each other. And like obviously, I just got the vibe that Pashinyan didn't want to do any of it, but because Russia had like two thousand troops, um, and they had put up a border from between Armenia and Azerbaijan, there was like no other choice for Armenia but to say yes. Otherwise, all of their civilians would have just kept. Yeah, for killed.
2: sure, for sure. And also, I think like there was uh like Pashinyan is kind of like one of these uh, political figures who does a lot of Facebook. Like Facebook posts that get him into trouble, and he did a few around that time, being saying something like, "Oh, our troops, our Armenian troops, should come back and like something like like you know like silence these people who are whinging about the end of the war," and like people really turned on him because of that or something like that. You know, like so he also kind of like yeah was, Jesus more, yeah. But yeah, sorry Rachel, go on a, like the peace talks in Russia.
0: Um, yeah, well, I guess like it kind of happened after the Battle of Shusha, after like all of those people died. Uh, Russia went in, sent in their 2000 troops. Uh, they brokered the deal basically just saying, look, Azerbaijan is going to take control of the whole Nagorno-Karabakh area, Armenia, you are allowed to. I think what they decided was that Armenia could still have like a trade passage through Nagorno Karabakh so that they could still like do trade and everything because the thing that Azerbaijan did which was quite horrible was what they they did a huge blockade where they stopped all trade and stopped Blocked their borders to yeah, Armenia yeah. completely, and so then it stopped all trade coming into Armenia and like was basically like starving out most of the Armenians in nagorno- karabakh yeah so yeah. and th- that was that a lot was like of territory of the that big big reasons
2: Armenia took a lot of that territory that wasn't specifically like the part of nagorno- karabakh. They took a lot more territory between Armenia and Azerbaijan during the war,
0: yeah, okay, right, yeah, so I guess it was kind of. There was all of these issues because Armenia was struggling and Azerbaijan was kind of the cause of that because of this blockade. So what they agreed to, they, um, you know, opened the blockade. Mm. They allowed trade to continue. They opened up their borders. Um, And then uh, when this peace deal broke out, obviously all they had this big thing where – The Armenians living in Nagorno-Karabakh like burnt down their houses so that like um, Azerbaijanis wouldn't live in them. And so there was like all of these like fires happening in all of these little villages throughout Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, because I mean, and then Armenians like they went and picked all of the fruit off their trees, yeah, yeah. and then took it
2: back with and them. Also, and also, I, like, I oh. heard uh, like, uh, like, un- like you know, dug up a lot of graves of like, uh, you know, people in yeah. their families who fought in the war, uh, but there was, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, like, like, you know, like from every conceivable like Azerbaijani like angle on the propaganda it's like definitely there's like an ethnic cleanse was on the is is still on the cards for like Azerbaijani soldiers yeah. coming into like these areas like
0: well yeah well that's the thing now that Armenia is like freaking out about is that now because of the Russian peace deal kind of like Russia being on Armenian side they now can't um, even think of like a life in that area because okay so basically what happened is the Armenians are still allowed to live in the area but Aze- and Azerbaijanis are allowed to kill them and they're not allowed to like remove them from the area but Azerbaijan owns that land so basically the Armenians living in nagorno karabakh um are relying on these Russian troops to protect them and they don't see a way out of this situation they're like in order for us to live our lives we have to be reliant on these Russian troops so now Russia's like military footprint here is quite large and so the whole thing that I think is now and what I was reading and is something that's I guess going to be taken into account is that now that this peace deal has happened the fighting is technically over even though there's there's still fighting at the moment it's now i think like a broader battle between russia and turkey because Mm. turkey has troops even though they don't have as many troops on the ground they obviously have military backing and they're supporting azerbaijan who has control of the area and the whole point according to some sources that i was reading is its um, position close to iran and that's what a lot of people are now talking and speculating about was that russia has always wanted control over this area due to the fact that it is close to Iran and same with Turkey. And now that they have these positions, people are kind of speculating whether or not this is going to then lead into something bigger to do with Iran and like all of this kind of conflict that could pop up because now Russia, you know, they've got a big place there. Turkey's got a big place because Azerbaijan kind of owes them one. (laughs) And and this is like what,
2: like Russia, especially when it comes to geopolitics is like, like, like so murky and complicated and weird, but like, it definitely feels like when Russia, like I, and I think this is a direct quote uh, from an episode of Popular Front I listened to but like when when russia like brings in peacekeeping troops they they rarely leave like they're likely to not give yeah. back any of this land so like a lot of nagorno karabakh is kind of russian controlled now but there was sort of like um like the the there's a geopolitical situation with russia and turkey as well they have like a uh, i haven't heard it described as a dynamic of cooperative competition and so like a lot of this has like a lot to do with kind of like uh like you know some broader sort of political jostling in you know that that like <clears throat> bleeds into Syria you know and and bleeds into a lot of different conflict zones and like there's a lot of moving of like pieces on on a board between them and they, and they have a confusing like Turkey's very much like trying to get like a a seat on the negotiation table and they've also got like direct access to Azerbaijan through, uh, like, politically on the map through, like, the south of um, the the contested zone. And that's what
0: they're also now saying is that, like, Turkey is gaining sort of a win in this situation because they now have um, a transport corridor from Turkey, from Azerbaijan, from, like the southeast, all the way through up through Armenia to the Caspian Sea and that yeah. kind of area. So it's like a new trade route throughout Central Asia, which is kind of obviously politically, yeah, I yeah. guess, um, <clears throat> a positive for Turkey in a sense. Yeah. Um, the- um, yeah, I guess that's all I was going to say is that it just seems like from an outsider's perspective, not knowing much about it and kind of only reading the recent stuff of what's happened, it does seem like Armenia and Azerbaijan were kind of used by Russia and Turkey for them to kind of gain some sort of power in an yeah, area sure. that yeah. they didn't necessarily have a footing in. And so, it in my mind, it is horrible and manipulative, and I, was, <laughs> I don't I, I, like it.
2: <laughs> I'm all, I'm always surprised. I kind of thought like that, like you know, the, the the sources you'd be looking at would have kind of this more like neoliberal agenda. About, like, the way that they kind of, like, I don't know, like, like sort of sympathise a lot more with Azerbaijan or, like, the way that they look at the geopolitical situation, like, or, or even that, like the U.S. should intervene and the U.S. didn't get its chance. Well, they did say that. Yeah, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They mentioned that. They mentioned how, like, they're like, so the U.S. wasn't actually able to intervene because of the election. (laughs) And so, like, that was their excuse. They were (laughs) like, so in a position where the U.S. would usually intervene, they were unable to do so. And I was like, oh. And so then they were like, well, it's now up to Russia. And I was like, well. Yeah, okay. What is, the, is this like,
2: <laughs> like, Jesus. I don't, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't think the U.S. barely have come up at all in anything that I've ever heard about. It's like I think the last yeah. thing that that region needs is the U.S. like jumping in to like make things uh, even
1: more off like,
0: Well, that's the thing. Like they mentioned like in a lot of the stuff that I read, then people mentioned how the U.S. had like a footing in there and then they kind of like – slowly withdrawing because of, like, other issues that were coming up that they needed to attend to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, well,
2: that's that's okay. terrifying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right.
1: I feel like it was a slightly more normal US that was involved in, in like, brokering peace between the two countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than we have now. And also Trump just fucking loves Erdogan. and yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not going to get Erdogan's way of doing anything. No,
2: of course not.
0: Well, yeah, well, France is on Turkey's side. Yeah. France yeah, yeah. Was oh yeah, well Turkey that's yeah, all of yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is this is kind um, of like I think like the the oh, Sorry, I got Edouard and got oh, yeah. The Turkey, the French Prime Minister mixed up. One. <laughs> <What? laughs> I was thinking when you said Edouard I was like, "Yes, the French Prime Minister." <laughs> that's that's a different name. Macron. Has, that's That <laughs> would be very upset. Anyway, sorry. Macron. Macron. Um, Macron. Anyways, we are basically the same. I'm, try- I'm trying to think basically. of anything. <laughs> they
2: look similar. No,
0: they don't. Do they? <laughs> 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 one's like a young, dashing man.
1: <laughs> and the other one's some looming, awful giant. I feel
0: like they look the same. <laughs> what are <laughs> you talking angry. about? Look <laughs> them
2: up. They don't look anything alike. it's a compliment alike. to Erdogan Ed- almost.
1: <laughs> I think so, yeah. Dude, as, as everything Erdogan. Edouard.
0: Oh, Edouard Kenobi. <laughs> I don't know how to spell his name. Erdogan
1: Erdogan.
0: Edo ed ed yeah, with, yeah. with a sort of umblout. Oh, um, I see, I see. Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I've, like, if there's anything else that I haven't, like... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's just, like, I mean, like, the geopolitical, like, angle is a lot of, like, what I saw as well is, is only really discussing the geopolitics, which I guess is, like, Turkey's involvement and Russia's involvement at in the end. But, like, I think, like... I think there's just the like what the in terms of Armenia and Azerbaijan, there's just so much hatred and like it's just it boils over and gets worse and worse. And like I don't know, and this is just my like opinion, really spurious opinion, but I kind of feel like it's sort of like I wonder what this war would look like without the without all these other sort of imperial like involvement and like you know and then like you know I feel like like the without like the Soviet Union kind of like creating this environment but also kind of neglecting uh like it's sort of canning all this this hatred and then like you know like the like when something like the vacuum when it it dissolved and without like turkey you know sticking their head in now i really wonder like if the if like because because you know now from my understanding anyway like so there's a there's a peace agreement but it seems like you know, the military wasn't really called back necessarily. They were kind of frozen and, like, now it's, it's you know, very murky. And I, I was trying to get my head around it all, like, on, on, like, you know, the ceasefire violations in the last couple of – the last month or so. But there's definitely, like, a lot of, like, Armenian troops still up in the mountains uh, and, and, and also, uh, like, you know, the, it feels like the war's not over and it feels like it's probably never going to be over. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think yeah, it's quite it, it's like kind of a scary thought to think that like you know, if the Armenians do try and do something about it at some point, yeah, it's probably yeah. just like going to be worse. Like I don't really see no, what no. advantage Armenia can really get at any point unless like bar, you know,
2: Yeah, like for sure. inventing
1: yeah. something amazing, you know, some weird like unforeseen no, exactly. stimulus to like stimulation yeah, yeah. to their and their their I think I think the problem is because, like, military, you know, people right like,
2: now are, like, you know, and, and like, uh, in, in, like, they're rioting in Armenia because, they, like, they had this, like, the way I heard it described was on the ground, like, the citizens, like, you know, who are really, like, the victims here that are, like, when we talk geopolitics, are so forgotten about, like, the displacement of people and, like, how bloody it is for people oh, exactly, on the ground, of course. Like, yeah. But, like, they, uh, Armenian people kind of had this sort of, like... Oh well, we we were losing a little bit in the '90s, and then we rolled them. So like, we you know like, there's no way Armenia can lose, and then like very quickly, you know, kind kind yeah, of they lost, yeah, lost quickly. You know, like and never really had yeah, much of a chance yeah. to,
1: and ended up far worse off than they started.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But and my, this is another thing that like this is I read a map that like the the dividing lines since the peace agreement have been kind of worked out, where Armenia keeps like a little circle in in the middle of um.
0: Yeah, I read that too. Okay, cool.
1: Is that like around Stepanakert?
0: I think so. Well,
2: I think I think it's it's an interesting, and maybe we could even keep this bit in because I think it's like what is very telling is like I don't even like it's so there's so it's so complicated and it's so like the you know the, even the you know the sweeping geopolitics is so complicated and it, it's so confusing and I think Russia definitely you know Russia and sort of Turkey their kind of propaganda don't help make that any clearer. Or, like, not even their propaganda, but, like, trying to sort of understand their motivations doesn't make it, it any easier to Yeah, that's
0: like. the thing that I'm so fascinated about. Like, I understand um, somewhat in terms of, like, the area of Nagorno-Karabakh and what it means to both Azerbaijan and Armenia and especially the city of Shusha and how to each uh, country it was like – for Armenia it was like a religious – Um, capital for them, like there was a lot of religious history. Azerbaijan apparently like a lot of their really famous poets and historians and like literary icons all came from that area and like that has a lot of like cultural history. And so for both countries I understand – they're like, you know, driving force to keep that place. But for Turkey and Russia, I'm like, I feel like what is going on here? This seems like it's just like a porn movie, there's like a, a very long... larger chess game yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of trying to gain control over an area that they haven't really had control over yeah, before. Kind of, or yeah. like, you know, a lot of control over where now, because like what we were mentioning before, when you were saying like. Pitting people against each other To like divide and conquer Yeah, I feel like this is their You know Modern 21st century Yeah exactly Way of doing that
2: Yeah
1: yeah Where it's just much creepier And And I I, I think
2: Considering that like You know Like a lot of the Early 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 Boiling over In Nagorno-Karabakh In like the You know late 80s A lot of it came from Like not being able To have access To their own cultural Armenian heritage Like they couldn't You know Like the the Soviets Were like slowing the You know like Like they couldn't Get Armenian TV or have, like, they had to go uh, across the border to go to, 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 like, get their children baptized. And I think, like, so much of this also has to do with Russia, which I think really gets forgotten. Mm. Like, and, uh, and I think, like, I just, like, like, I'm sort of left at the end of this episode. I really thought this was going to be a very simple, like, um, well, actually, no, no, let's get to that when we fully decide that we're, we're, we're putting a pin in this and wrapping it up. But, like, <laughs> but, but basically, I kind of, like, I feel like where I'm kind of left with personally on this is, like, if I try and understand everything and I don't know if I do at all, is, like, maybe, like, that if with without all these sort of, like, other big nations sticking their fingers in, maybe it would be, you know, kind of, like, in a perfect world, Nagorno-Karabakh could kind of decide their own fate, whether it be yeah, Armenia, like become a republic or something. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah.
0: Because it kind of was. It was living as a republic for like what, like twenty years or something. Maybe less than that, slightly less. Wait, wait, when Nagorno Karabakh for the war, when? it was it bef- declared itself a republic of Artsakh in the nineties. Yeah. It was, a, yeah. was it official and yeah, was yeah. living under that until twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, I guess like, you know, to follow this train of thought, it it is a bummer and it kind of shows like how, how borders uh, can be like hell nasty where this was just a region that shouldn't have had like a, like a binary border, you know, like yeah, this was yeah, a place yeah. that where you had two cultures that, that, that like intermingled very happily and had things like not been like had like these artificial sort of borders not been imposed on them in the first place mm. they could have continued to do that because yeah the whole reason that there's any dispute over Nagorno-Karabakh is because it belonged to both of them yeah yeah and for ages they managed to live like that and it was totally fine and and to and you know to, to say that you can do that in the modern day is probably a little a like yeah very naive but like it's just a shame that it had to, yeah, it just sucks that it had to happen. It just, yeah, it all yeah. feels like it was done to the advantage of someone else. Russia. <laughs> yeah, Russia, but yeah, and then and, Turkey and, then, and then and so on, you know, and then, it, and yeah, then the yeah. list like, goes on.
0: You know. But I feel like it, it did stem from Russia, though, Yeah, no, Stem totally. was the I know. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. created. Um, yeah, the for sure, yeah, yeah,
1: I agree, but like, but then other people start taking advantage as well. Of and like, and, like
2: yeah. it could so easily be the US, like and it could so easily be like you know, and, it nearly and was like a million was, yeah. other
1: places cuz like you think about like you know, there was a period where um where Azerbaijan's oil reserves like got them the attention of like all of these western countries yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. And like and and yeah, I mean, there's also something to be said for like Armenia, yeah. Armenia's president at the moment or prime minister at the moment like being a little less pro Russia and a little more pro EU, yeah,
2: this is the other thing, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, means that like that like Russia's less keen to help them out. Yeah, yeah apparently, yeah. like Putin's really good friends with the old prime minister, all this kind of stuff. But just I don't know, it just sucks. It just seems like yeah. it. Like at one point in time, that was a really cool example of like two different cultures like working together and living quite harmoniously, mm-hmm. and and they were kind of like turned into this, like, really hateful division. Yeah, yeah. That just, like, sucks. No, for <laughs> it's such sure, a shame sure. to see. Because both, yeah, really cool places. Like, I fucking, I would love to visit either one of them. But now, after everything, I, like, yeah, I don't know.
2: Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in terms of, like, kind of the experiment of the episode, I kind of, I'm sort of, like, I feel like if uh, me and Rachel were like, uh, if, if we were some kind of like fighting robots that like absorbed the, the kind of like propaganda of, of the sources that we were reading or lack of or whatever, you know, and then we're like battling it out in an arena, maybe it would be more clear about like where, like what the information we've received and how it, it changed our opinion. But I kind of feel like in the end, it, everything is so murky and so messy that I I don't even I couldn't even tell you like what like Rachel's sources and my sources disagree on but I'm sure if you got it, like you know if you got some of the people that are following on Twitter and some of the people that wrote the articles that Rachel's writing in a room like they would argue more than me and Rachel did I guess but like
0: I I I don't feel like yeah. But I would also think that they would agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the way I feel like there is too much that has happened. That is very much just like facts. Like it is just like, okay, so this happened, this happened, yeah, this yeah. many people um, got killed. And there's definitely some- this many people did this. Like you can't really argue with that. But then it's more the as we said before, the motivations behind it which is the cause of argument. Like I feel like yeah, it yeah, would of be, course, yeah. say like Jake Hanrahan would argue that a lot of that influence of Turkey is bad <laughs> and problematic. And then say like one of the guys from The Economist Radio would say the Turkish correspondent would be like, "No, no, no! It's all Russia's fault. Yeah. Russia is the bad one, or or so Turkey. It's more, I feel like,
2: or even you know. I mean, like judging by Erdogan, it's like Turkey needs to reseize the Ottoman Empire. I mean, there's like nutters, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like um, but I think it's like I'd like uh, like I. We like watched like I, I don't know if I talked about this on the episode or whether there was just our discussion but like I watched like a Vox thing popped up on YouTube and I watched it the other day about this conflict and I was like oh I'm interested to see what the difference is and actually it pretty much covered everything that I've heard from the independent journalists the difference is I think which I really like we don't have the time to get into is like the, if I from the people I'm following on Twitter I get the updates every day of the really micro stuff that like the New Yorker won't bother explaining and probably yeah probably if i was a smarter more politically savvy person i would factor all of these things in but i don't really understand what they mean in the greater scheme of things like i think yeah
0: exactly and i feel like in order for me at least in order to understand something so muddled i do need a broader picture like i need some me. Yeah, yeah me for too me yeah like, exactly okay, yeah. so these are the basic points you know and i feel like with um, independent media outlets like popular front because they're there all the time, they're in it, they already have like uh, absorbing this information constantly. It's more of a direct, like they're living it. So they do understand it in a very different sense to what we understand it. And so we're just seeing it from a very, very far away viewpoint, whereas they're experiencing it. And that obviously is like a whole different perspective, which we would always have to take into account. And even obviously the people fighting in the war, like who knows what they, their whole, perspective would be completely different yeah. as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, Zeb, like being, like, your episode, like, did this kind of go where you thought it would go?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I think that, like, I remember, because, I, I, like, uh, throughout this whole thing, I wasn't getting, um, I was trying to follow the news kind of, like, day by day in, yeah, those, like, smaller kind of Twitter chunks mm. of, like... You know, like raw information, rather than like, um, like reading articles about like the last three days in this in this conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, the, the one time that I did, and it was, I think it was only once or maybe two articles that I read from, I um, uh, uh, probably the Guardian. I, I, I saw like what I kind of like interpreted to be a relatively like pro-Azerbaijani Azerbaijan. yeah, yeah. sort of thing. And not necessarily like, and, and honestly, it could have just been my assumption yeah, that yeah. like any any like Western paper, regardless how of, of how kind of progressive or lefty it is, mm-hmm. is going to end up siding with Turkey, because I feel like I've seen it happen before with like uh, in uh, Northeastern Syria.
2: Yeah, right.
1: But I think I was expecting a little bit more of a pro-Azerbaijani side from Rachel's
0: research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess I'm a a little bit surprised by
2: that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was surprised
0: too. Like I think – because I know that I went into that because obviously of you, Zeb. And I went into it and I think I read it with different tonal points. Mm, Like there were moments where – okay, so the thing that I wanted to say that um, I guess aligns with what Zeb first thought that my research would kind of show an Azerbaijani favour was an article by The Guardian – and there was this one quote where it said, um, before the post-Soviet war, it was inha- um, Nagana karabakh was inhabited by 130,000 people, mostly ethnic Azerbaijanis, who were expelled from their homes. So when I first read that, I was like, okay, so this is using emotive words like expelled from their homes, yeah. creating these feelings of sympathy and sorrow for Azerbaijanis. And then it goes on to then say, on Thursday, Armenian residents of Ach da hurriedly picked pomegranates and persimmons persimmons from trees surrounding their homes and packed vans with furniture before fleeing in the run-up to the official deadline to seed the mountainous province Mm-mm. so then this made me think so okay so they're writing that these people are picking fruits that they weren't in as much danger or they weren't in fear of their lives yeah this was kind of like their own choice to leave and that it creates this idea of like they have a luxury to just like go and pick fruit and that they weren't actually in immediate danger. And like that was the first article I did read. And I was like, oh okay. So this is very much feeding into this idea that we are on Azerbaijan's side. But then the further the more articles I read, it wasn't really like that at all. And yeah that was like this the is the thing is like the
2: stuff I'm that. looking at like around that time period is mostly like People being like, oh, it's going to be a genocide, and like various quotes from like, uh, like the one of the, I, like, maybe now, I don't know, like, uh, oh, I don't even know, but like, someone, someone like, you know, like a lot of a lot of talk of like, this is going to be the holocaust of the Armenian people from the uh, from the Azerbaijani side, and like, and like, you know, war, like, you know, graves being, you know, which like, you know, the, the graves and churches being desecrated. And that's, yeah, and I stuff, guess it was because like,
0: you know. when I did read that article. I was very much like, okay, so yes, mainstream Western media is supporting Azerbaijan and like Turkey and all that kind of stuff. And that Armenians, um, like, and they were kind of like feeding into the idea that um, legally or like internationally recognized, this area was internationally recognized as Azerbaijan's and not Armenians. But then the further I read, and like when I read some New York Times articles and like some Al Jazeera work, uh, they were all very much trying to be as unbiased as possible. And there were even a couple of articles that favored the Armenian side. And then I was getting more confused and I was like, oh gosh, okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, I, like, I, like, my head is so full of information that it's not even about, like, what did I learn this week? It's like, what didn't I? <laughs> like, I like, I'm just. I think I'm just going to spend the rest of the day watching like YouTube videos yeah. of like cats or something. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure me are
1: both going to be dreaming of, <laughs> of the war in Artsakh.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I don't want um, to. <laughs> next week we're talking about the illegal fishing trade in Newport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, I guess, I guess, thanks everyone for for like being so so like supportive of the show so far. Now that we're like going live and we can get a like direct. Uh, response from everyone like please always like if you want to like email us with any criticisms or like episode ideas you can find us on instagram at Opheads podcast email us at at the same at gmail.com um but yeah like and we're trying out we're trying out new things like this is obviously very new terrain for our podcast so i think you know like it, it you know we're still trying to work out how everything goes and like so thanks so much for yeah supporting us so far Yes. Yeah, it's
1: been fucking awesome. It's been actually like quite it's been surprising. Been
2: and I think you know we want your input on the direction of like what what subjects we choose. So like please like yeah, we really like would love to hear like what you guys are in, more interested in, what didn't work and what did work. You know, yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Please feel free. Yeah, to yeah, let us know. You, yeah,
1: it, really, we are always keen for episode topics. So yes. if there's anything interesting for we, you,
2: we we are party in your hands.
0: <laughs> Well, I'm not. We will go
2: wherever <laughs> you want. Flaccid,
0: <laughs> flaccid, <laughs> flaccid, people. <laughs> oh, I'm not flaccid. <laughs> I am a very strong, hard woman. Strong.
2: Yes, you're strong. Yeah. That's that's very true. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're going to, we're sort of like coming into the new year and like working out like uh, sort of like the production of the show. We're going to go into like a, we're going to release episodes every two weeks instead of every week now. Just Because it gives us some more freedom and time to research the show, we obviously all have like day jobs and stuff, so like we, we don't all have we, day we jobs, just, <laughs> we, okay? <laughs> Me and Rachel, <laughs> I'll
1: go plenty of time.
2: Well, I don't even really, I got like half a day <laughs> job, but, but yeah, so we're, we're gonna do like uh, is that bi weekly? No, that's not, that's every Fortnitely. two weeks, whatever, like fortnightly, fortnightly, we're gonna for, for, do fortnightly. Um, uh, yeah, so we're going to release shows every two weeks. We might every now and then if we find the time, like do kind of like intermittent releases, but that's kind of expect that, uh, from now on. And, and we'll sort of look at it as time goes on. Uh, what else? Yeah. You can follow all my stuff at coward space on Instagram. Um, yes, you
0: can follow my stuff. I guess you should just follow my stuff on my. I'm doing a lot of things. Just follow <laughs> my name, Rachel underscore Morrow, on Instagram. I've
2: got um. Oh, I've got I've got t-shirts. I'm selling t-shirts because I'm broke, and also Ooh. I think they're oh, okay. <laughs> Can I have one? So if you if Can you, you have one? If you're I'll, buy one, I'll buy one. I want one of your hats. Well, as only well, if you have the money. Coward.
0: Can you make an outfit? Style yes, an outfit to. for me, Tom, and I'll pay for it. <laughs>
2: I'm gonna get some fucking now that we're into like the interpol fucking politics, like war geopolitics. I'm gonna get some fucking like army army op heads army shit. Yeah, so you can all get the fatigue. we should have merchandise. With, we should sell them. merchandise, with, with balaclavas, guys. Balaclavas, <laughs> balaclavas, yeah, machetes, all of it. <laughs> yeah. Don't you? Fucking we'll sell it. Worry. We'll sell
0: it. We'll become the turkey to the Azerbaijani. Of- <laughs> The world, <laughs> but through merchandise, <laughs> not military <laughs> weapons. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, you can, uh, you can, I you can follow of... me on Goodreads. I just made a Goodreads account, and uh, if you know my name, <laughs> you can search it up and follow me on there because you can see what books I'm reading. It's the only social media I want to plug.
2: Such as Black Garden by Thomas Duval. Yeah, yeah, that'll be on there. Deval, yeah, yeah. Wow. Ro-
1: brother of Robert Duval. Um,
0: <laughs> and Shelley Duval.
1: Are they, are and, uh, they and, and,
0: s- and I think. I don't know.
1: I thought that Robert Duval was Shelley Duval's dad.
0: Oh, probably. Yeah, married. No? What? Married. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <This is getting laughs> sister, sister, married, and daughter.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: this is the fucking white stripes all over here. Come on.
1: Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks uh, anyway. so much for listening. <laughs> um,. I hope that uh oh. that you've learned something about uh this conflict. Um I think I have. I feel like I've pre- I've read a lot and I feel like I don't actually know how to explain any of it very well. But Yeah, fully. But yeah, I, I think I if think you wanna read uh read Black Garden by uh Thomas Deval uh Duval because it uh I reckon that that seemed to be for the for some context it was a really interesting read.
2: And I really liked parts of a circle for like everything leading up to like 2019. I thought that was a and a, and a good objective sort of view on like the humanitarian perspective of the war, I guess. Yeah. And, and I think in general, like it really, uh, I, like always, I, well, don't, do whatever you like, but I think like to look at the sources because, you know, like I think like we are a sponge, you know, that's kind of the point of the show. And I think like. It's important that it, like, you know, people can, like, we have our sources online, it's on our website, uh, cowardspace.com slash opeds, and you can see kind of, like, the sources that were going off, and I think it's, like, important to know that, like, you know, we might, we might always have got these things yeah, we we aren't of, like, a complex source. political, like, yeah. we are a sponge. Yes. Sponges. We
1: cannot be credited in your uni essay.
0: Yes, we yes. are not a part uh, of the bibliography.
1: <laughs> no, we are not bibliographs <laughs> Bibliographers. No, exactly right. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to our pads. It's been very fun. We'll see you in two weeks.
0: Bye. Love you guys. Bye. there will be plenty of newspapers with plenty of different people controlling them, so that there's a variety of viewpoints there's a choice for the public. Uh, no, no, not, uh,
1: not, uh, not, uh, not,
0: uh, not any yeah, crimes. no. We're not you shouldn't be. Trying to turn this into a subsequent media circus.
1: Good morning, sir. How are you?